This podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favorite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalized bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name's Jack Pitbrook, I'm your host, and today I'm joined again by Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore in this unusually quiet week for Tottenham Hotspur because it is the winter break. Charlie, what have Spurs been up to? Having some time off after the uh, Saints game last Wednesday. Um, yeah, basically free time, uh, which we saw Mourinho use yesterday to be at the Leipzig game. And then back to work today for a full week's training ahead of the Villa game. One of these precious full weeks that they haven't had many of under Jose. And Mourinho has had his hair cut as well. Yeah. This is the thing that he does sometimes when he's quote unquote going to work. Yeah, going to work. There was a Chelsea season in the first spell where he did it and their results really kicked up. And I think there was a season at Madrid where he did it as well. So for those who haven't seen, he's got like really kind of closely cropped hair now all of a sudden. Doesn't look great, I don't think. I mean, doesn't really suit him, I don't Yeah. I mean, he had like, it wasn't like, I don't think he was thinning before that, was he? It looked like he had quite a kind of sturdy yeah, head so of he, hair. I read, in, I read some quotes from him where he said he woke up one morning and thought his head didn't look great. So he decided uh, to have it all shaved off. I think it's one of those things, that, you know, this can be applied to an awful lot when it comes to Mourinho. <laughs> quite, you know, quite good when he's 40, but now he's 57. It, do, it doesn't really have the same effect. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like he used to look, ama- he looked amazing with that hair back in the old days. Yeah. Um, but I actually went to a, this is, might be difficult to believe. I went to a fancy dress party as Jose Mourinho when I was, <laughs> when, when I was at university in 2006. And, uh, I, and for which I kind of cut my hair really, really short. I think I can number two all over to look like, really? to look like Mourinho. What, Rui, Rui Farah? Uh, yeah, and what you'll have to as a, as a clever number two joke there yeah it, it, it bombed uh, <laughs> uh, yeah so I, I was I went as Mourinho to this fancy dress party just basically wearing a suit and I had my hair cut short I, I was, looked different then I was much healthier and slimmer so uh, and I went around shushing people shh like that that was the gag nice yeah yeah um, did the chin up yeah. thing to did people I did, I did do that yeah. no that was it was actually oh, before the chin yeah, up chin thing up happened the end of 2006-07 and this would have been the start of 06 yeah right okay because yeah that was at the Emirates yeah, this was back when I was a teenager and I used to think Mourinho was a legend and I had like pictures of him on my wall. Really? Yeah. Did I, you have one of those long coats? Because I remember when he came over, a few of my friends oh, yeah. invested in those coats, that yeah. he, those like black long coats. That People was... used to sing that coats from Matalan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I actually didn't have one of those coats, but I, I'll try and find a photo. I bet I've got yeah, one. Yeah, dig Facebook. it out. Yeah. That we'll, coat. We'll tweet that from the Athletic. Yeah, okay. yeah. So that was, coat would now have its own Twitter account, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Really no, I think like, it would have had its own Twitter account between like 2009 and 2015, back when like. Uh, the cat that runs on the pitch at mm. Bramall Lane became like a thing that would that people would make Twitter accounts also, now. But Twitter the, the changed since then. Twitter account would have done loads of banter. Yeah, about yeah. You can <laughs> yeah. get this coat. At Jose Mourinho, thanks for wearing our yeah. coat, mate. Uh, 
Sorry, this has gone mild a topic. <laughs> but this, this is, is not a Twitter man's podcast. Yeah, but th- th- this is for the listeners out there who think I hate Mourinho. Uh, I used to see, I used to love him. But maybe that will feed. Like, that doesn't mean you don't hate him now. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe that will feed it because it's like you did love him and then you've been burnt and you've now got this like, you know, like a breakup almost. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that that is a good way of looking at it. Um, but it, back in the real world, Tottenham beat Southampton 3-2 mm. last Wednesday. Uh, I didn't go. Charlie, you did. What do you think? Um, another Mourinho mark? No, it wasn't. <laughs> um, it, it was one of those games where I don't think anyone... As Mourinho said, you know, the best team lost. Saints were, were, the, were the better side. Um I mean, though he, the magna, the sort of magnanimousness of that was slightly undermined by his press conference. He repeated it, but then gave about ten caveats as to why that was the case. Um, but yeah, Saints were just just better. It was pretty flat. That said, uh, it's always the thing, isn't it, when a manager gets his subs right? You say, well, is that good subs or is that why didn't you start with them in the first place but I think in this instance he, he did recognise it wasn't working changed the game Ali was really good and Jedson was encouraging oh, I thought well. when, yeah, he, yeah I thought he was really good when he came on I, again it's one of those games maybe that lends itself to a sub performance because you can come on be all energy all action but he definitely gave them an injection of something um, I thought when he came on yeah I thought Spurs had a couple of decent spells in that game I mean Southampton as you say were probably the better side over the, over the course of 90 minutes but I mean, particularly, particularly from 2-1 onwards I thought Spurs did really well to, mm. I mean they got themselves back in the game more or less immediately didn't they with the, with the Lucas goal um, but the formation they started that game with I mean I think probably most of people listening to this would have seen the video of Vertonghen uh, yeah. coming off and sitting head in hands in the dugout it's genuinely really horrible to watch he looks so upset I don't think it's like anger at no. you know, being taken off it's like Kind of disappointment and frustration that I think he's embarrassed. Had, yeah, maybe. Yeah, he just had such a. I think he looked without really kind of making any comical errors. He just had a really bad game. But I did a piece about a month ago uh, after the Middlesbrough away game, and I sort of because I th- I watched it at the time. I was like, wow, and screenshot it. And there's this moment where he's sort of chasing after the ball, and it's actually really painful. Like how slow. You know when sports people are reaching the latter part of their career and they're exposed in situation because football's all about protecting your players from these sort of things right but he's like on the left wing sort of ends up there after a set piece the game's gone a bit haywire and it's like oh wow like he really is off the pace is it a bit um, Gary Neville against West Brom that sort of thing yeah I mean like uh, it, it maybe wasn't to that extent but like it, there was a, in the first half wasn't there when when it was him against Ings and Ings just sauntered past him and, and you, you you did feel for him a bit. Yeah, I mean, Ings is quick, but he he's is. not, you know, super rapid and it was, yeah, it was a little bit embarrassing. I think he's probably, and he's probably not the only Spurs player in this situation, in that kind of transition period now where he needs to work out how he has to play. Yeah. You know, he's only probably maybe 30, 31. Yeah. So he's one of the senior players in that squad, but he shouldn't be kind of... I think you know, In that West Brom game, I think Neville was probably about 34. I think he's 32 and soon 33. I mean, that, that's still young in my book. That's right. He's 33 in April. Yeah. But the thing is, with Vertonghen, like Vertonghen's obviously been an incredible player for Tottenham since he arrived in 2012, is he... He used to be able to defend in this incredibly aggressive way because he's so he wasn't he wasn't like super quick. But he was quick enough, and he was integral to uh, kind of under AVB and also under Pochettino, like defending high up the pitch, always staying on the front foot, yeah. leaving mm. lots of space in behind. And 
you know that re- you know you can only defend that way if you're really really aggressive and if you're always willing to step up try and play the opposition offside but he can't really do that anymore because his pace has gone in the that's, last in that's the last year so or so because if you think back yeah, to the Dortmund quickly. game uh, at Wembley which would have been like left last wing back. February yeah left wing back yeah. and he was up and down that touchline all or, game or the, the Dortmund game in Dortmund I mean, he was fantastic yeah, yeah, he threw yeah. himself in front of everything mm, I know yeah. that was a more like old fashioned yeah, back to like defensive yeah, performance yeah. but he was you know he was immaculate in that game as well I mean he but, had a really good season last season by the way yeah. this isn't like this isn't like a kind of this hasn't been like a slow kind of regression it's been like a really yeah. like, rapid drop I wonder if it's just a function yeah it has been incredibly rapid well I was speaking to someone who, who worked on that for, for this piece who works heavily on the fitness side and he said you do see that quite often that players get to around this age 32, 33 and there is a drastic fall and, and I think it must be horrible for someone going through that knowing that you can't really do what you used to be yeah. able to do yeah. and but also I mean, Vertonghen's would have played he's played so much like very very high level football yeah. like playing for this is yeah, eight years at Tottenham now playing for Belgium in big tournaments pretty much every year playing he doesn't really get injured much for Tottenham so he's no. played more or less every game for the last eight years and eventually it seems to like it's caught up with him I do think I mean he's an intelligent defender and I do wonder whether that, like I say he can find the way of changing his game so he doesn't expose himself quite so readily um, doesn't get caught out and kind of gets himself into better positions to not let uh, but would he get goes past him but I mean yeah whether or not he can do that quickly enough but would even like an adapted Vertonghen playing in that way would he get in would he get in the team well I don't know would, I don't, would, would you have, would you have him in the team yeah, yeah. Well, whether or not he can do that and how good he would be at doing yeah. it I think he'd have to accept a reduced role probably if, if he's to stay um, at, you know even if it's though with a view to kind of mentoring some of the other players and that sort of thing you know ahead of probably becoming a coach yeah. or a manager he seems that smart and intelligent completely because his contract his contract's up at the end of the season yeah. as we all know uh, there's been talk for a while that he might go to Ajax back where he kind of really made his name and he he's was, always uh, been welcome there yeah he's he, he, had a, he had a great time at Ajax at the start of his career he loved Amsterdam he's very very happy in the city he was really embraced by the fans and people and you know Ajax have also brought back a lot of their former players recently Daley Blin Klaus-Jan Huntelaar it's kind of very much how how the club operates so that might you, you can totally see how that would work but I, at the moment I think he, the issue is Spurs over the length of his contract yeah. isn't it yeah. and whether he gets one year or two years but the, this remains kind of one of the big question marks over the second half of the season yeah. because back when Alderweireld signed his deal the, I heard from a few places that this was very much Spurs priority now was, was to tie down Vertonghen and yet you know with his performances not being what they might what people might have expected them to be this remains an open question yeah well everything at that time was saying you know look it's, it's going to be it's going to be soon it's going to be soon Mourinho even said that and then said there were issues with what the agent was demanding but it felt like there wasn't much you know that they're, they're, they're where they saw things they didn't diverge that much between player and club but it hasn't quite happened and now and, and I think what I was trying to say in the piece as well was that previously it had always been like they need to get Vertonghen and Vertonghen signing would be a real coup and then all of a sudden I think the dial shifted and it's like wait a minute should they be what sort of a contract if any should they be offering Vertonghen now yeah I feel like with Spurs in this trans, kind of very very belated transition period away from the team that was so successful under Pochettino into a different team I feel like the departures of Rose and Ericsson are probably good things for the club on balance even though Ericsson is obviously a fantastic player yeah. still I wonder whether Vertonghen might you know they might come to a view that Vertonghen is the type of player who while he's been a fantastic servant for Tottenham it might be better off for Tottenham if he were to leave yeah it's that balance isn't it how quick that transition is and you know you don't want to lose too many players 
but at the same time you have to get things moving and Ericsson Rose is definitely a step in the right direction I mean I think Pochettino said whether or not it was last summer or possibly halfway through last season that Spurs needed to go through transition and it was going to be painful yeah I think this is probably the kind of thing he was talking about isn't it oh completely yeah and Pochettino was always very clear that the the squad did 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 need to change he wanted players to be sold and to replace them with new players and obviously that never happened for him but it is finally happening now and I wonder whether Vertonghen might be another victim of that um someone who's very much of Spurs future I hope is Tangi Ndombele Mm. who gave probably like a classic Ndombele performance I think we can say against Saints in the sense that it was there were moments of absolute brilliance and there were also moments of frustration and it also didn't last very long. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, he's only actually, it's, it's weird, he's actually only started four games under Mourinho um, and he's only completed 90 minutes once under Mourinho having started 11 games under Pochettino. Do you think that he's getting closer to being a proper player for Spurs? I think it is taking time and yeah, the piece I wrote after that Southampton game looking at Ndombele was as you say, looking at the fact that he's kind of mesmerizing, maddening all at the same time. Um, I don't know. I mean, Mourinho has been pretty open about the physical difficulties that Ndombele has had. Uh, you know, he not that that's to say he doesn't want him to be a part of his plans. I think he does want Ndombele, obviously wants Ndombele to come good. Would Ndombele be the sort of player you'd expect Mourinho to sign? I would suggest almost certainly not. Um, but there's so much talent there and he has cost the club a lot of money. Um, you know, I really, really hope that they can get the best out of him because he's so talented. He's so exciting to watch. He is absolutely brilliant to watch. The yeah. way he moves, like the way he can move in a tight area with the ball at his feet is just amazing. I've seen so few players and we talked about Dembele before. There's so few players that can do that and it's just amazing to watch him like take the ball in a tight little corner and then turn two defenders and yeah. wriggle his way through. Mm. It's just, it's really frustrating that a player that's clearly that talented just is just missing that little bit of fitness that can make him like one of the best players in the Premier League quite easily. For me, he's the most exciting player to watch in the Premier League um, for all the reasons Four you just said. Yeah, like yeah. the kind of the skill and imagination and also the sort of unorthodoxy. Like there are, that is why he's so exciting because there aren't really, mm. he's not an easy player to compare. We, we, yeah. we were talking about this before we came on air. We said, could you compare him to another player? And I can't, like I can't think of someone who combines that much like technical skill and unpredictability and the way that he spins out of tackles and the the skills that he produces... And I mean, the Dembele thing kind of almost feels too obvious because a he's little a player. bit. But he's, I think Dembele's a lot yeah. more he's like kind of closer. I think Dembele's a lot more like I think I, was, I think Dembele's a lot more smooth, and I think feel like Ndombele is a lot more like uh, unpredictable. Maybe yeah. I didn't see like Dembele do that many like flicks or flicks or like step overs or what are the like the kind of shuffles and spins. I no, thought, but he's quite good I thought, at taking the ball. I thought in Dembele those areas. was more about like just kind of total control and like understated physical power there's a kind of sleekness and balance yeah 
like a kind of ballerina or a gymnast. A bit, of that in, in, in a bit yeah, but there's also a lot of just like really mad stuff that he looks like he's doing. The I mean, his, his in the passing park is better with his than Dembele's, I think. Maybe, yeah. I mean, the ball to we didn't really talk about this last week, but the ball he played to Son for yeah, the second goal, great assist. It's yeah. an amazing like, way he controlled the ball and knocked yeah. it off. And back in the Pochettino era, I think it would have been the Villa game at home where he produced some incredible, like perfectly weighted through balls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, On his debut, yeah. It's like his passing is. His, you're right. His creative passing like the clever through balls which is obviously something Spurs lack now because Ericsson's gone to Inter is like an amazing aspect of his game like he's mm. really 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 good at that also as you say Jack like with football becoming more homogenised almost it, it, someone like him is even more precious yeah definitely because like there yeah. are so you know you get a lot of identikit players and he is just something completely different you know he's so unconventional in everything yeah. he does and that's why it's so and that's obviously like inseparable from his background which is not really making it in the in the academy at Gangon as a boy and basically like learning football playing in uh, not the park but on these kind of like dusty street pitches in the Paris suburbs with his mates and then being like spotted for how good he was and then going into an, but then like going to the Amion Academy but like being overweight and getting like almost almost getting released and everything like it's it's not a conventional development like most most players even from France who've come through from the Bonniers or whatever have gone to one of the massive academies like PSG where mm. they've been honed into this kind of very very like like you say like sleek precise uh, say textbooky for want of a better word footballer whereas Ndombele doesn't have that at all but that's why that's one of the reasons why I think there's this really interesting tension between Ndombele and Mourinho which is that if you if you were to think like what are the traits that Mourinho would want in a footballer the kind of player that he would sign or that he generally picks they're generally players who are very orthodox able to understand complex t- tactical instructions very physically fit very obedient do everything that Mourinho says um uh have lots of big game experience he's never really had a kind of like maverick wildcard player like Ndombele I actually can't think well or the worry is that I, can't I know, think I know they're not mavericks or wildcard but I think the worry amongst some fans is that he'll go the way of like De Bruyne and Salah did at Chelsea yeah. where at that point in their career they were probably seen as more of a kind of luxury <laughs> yeah. obviously it's, it's not panned out that way that's such a good comparison because it's like I mean, De Bruyne is the most perfect 21st century, like, laser-guided footballer. Like, he, everything he does is so precise and so perfect and so intelligent. And he, and he can, like, operate in different positions on the pitch and tactically perfect. And Mourinho didn't think he was good enough. Mm. And if he didn't think that De Bruyne was good enough as a kid, what on earth is he going to think <laughs> of Ndombele, who is just this kind of, like, total wildcard compared to De Bruyne? Clearly that was a mistake, but he wasn't the player that he is That's now true, when yeah. he was a 23-year-old playing for Chelsea or not playing for Chelsea. Yeah, but this is kind of... I think this is one of the most interesting topics we're going to have in the next... For for however long Ndombele and Mourinho are both at Tottenham. Like, how... You know, will Ndombele do what is being expected of him to become, like, the player he could become? Or will Mourinho eventually give up on him and stop playing him? Mm. I mean, Cudrado is another one at Chelsea who was a you know had that excitement he was very skillful a bit different a bit unconventional and, and that also didn't work out so we'll have to see yeah do you, what do you think do you think there's like stuff that Ndombele could do to improve himself or well I think as I said in the piece like there there is a view amongst some at the club that you know he's not in the condition that he should be so I think that clearly is something everyone would love to see because as, as you say it's so frustrating that we can only see him at the moment for like 60 minutes max like every you just want to see a fully fit functioning like the best version of himself that he can yeah. be and that and that would really elevate him 
if you if you're running a match for an hour, you're not really running the match. Are you? Right, Ultimately, yeah. I think if you can, if he if he can do what he does over the course of ninety minutes, and you're kind of talking about a player who can set their tempo and can help the team retain the ball and help drive the, up the pitch. But at the moment, if you're only able to do that in fits and starts over the course of an hour, then it, it almost doesn't really count. And let's be honest, like that was not an hour that he gave against <laughs> Southampton. I mean, by the start of the second half, he looked knackered. He came out l- by distance last to start the second half. And at the risk of sounding like a proper football man, that is the kind of thing, isn't it, that it winds yeah, people yeah. up, you know, yeah. like subs not being ready and that kind of thing. But, you know, that's what, it, it, it was indicative because he then did look pretty off it for those 15 minutes of the second half that he got taken off and another thing you hear a lot with Ndombele is like just body language mm. like nonchalance uh, like application not even not even like on the pitch but off the pitch training around you know around the place as they say in football mm. all, that, all that kind of stuff and you wonder whether he needs to yeah he needs to kind of change his overall attitude rather than it might not simply be a case of like losing two kilos or yeah. getting a bit stronger or anything like that I mean I guess a positive example Mourinho could give is Joe Cole who was someone who always had bags of talent and potential really skillful but had never harnessed it that effectively until Mourinho managed him and he probably had the best years of his career under Jose and you know he gave him a position gave him some structure and he actually really flourished in that and the peak of that that goal he scored against United the day Chelsea won the league in 06 so that could be a sort of paradigm um, yeah. for Mourinho and, and Dombele to work towards so we haven't had we don't have a Spurs game until Sunday when they go away to Aston Villa um, it's na- that will be the 20th game of the Jose Mourinho era which is quite a lot given it's only been two and a bit months um, now's probably a pretty good time to take a half a step back and think how has it been so far I mean, is it working, James? <laughs> I, well, firstly, just say, but it's the 20th match already in two and a half months is probably kind of an indication. And you mentioned the fact that Mourinho has made the point of highlighting the, how few full weeks he's had yeah. on the training ground. So you do kind of have to take that into account. Um, results have clearly improved. And as we were saying last week, you, can, you really need to compare to the first kind of 20 matches yeah. of the season rather than what happened in 2016, yeah. 17, 18 or whatever. <laughs> Uh, so not that it, we would ever do that. Not that we would ever do that every week. Um, so in that regard, you, you'd have to say there's been quite a big improvement, really. Um, you know, just to go back to the Southampton game, once you've gone two-one behind after 75 minutes, maybe. I mean, I don't think it's impossible to imagine that in the first two or three months of the season, that would have been it. Right, your heads yeah. would have dropped, and you know they would have been flailing around trying to get the ball into the penalty area and panicking and whatever else but they seemed to be quite composed and although there isn't like a whole lot of attacking fluidity there doesn't really seem to be much rhythm to the way they're trying to trying to play in terms of getting the ball forward they did find solutions to the problems and they did score another two goals I mean the ball the counter attack for the penalty which I know some people on Twitter have decided wasn't a penalty but it definitely was clearly Spurs are not at the level that they were in those previous yeah. seasons that I just mentioned but I, to me it feels like they're kind of very slowly and steadily moving in the right direction yeah I think it's so hard like there, even with you know the volume the deluge of sort of stats that you get about any new manager at this sort of point and some of them suggest that Spurs have defended really badly others suggest they've actually defended quite well um They've had some good performances. They've had some not so good performances. I'm still really confused as to where they're at. And, you know, like the last couple of games, they beat City and they beat Southampton. Uh, And in both of them, you can make the case they didn't play that well. And is that a sign of a good team that you win when you're playing badly? Or is that 
sort of unsustainable good fortune. I think there are so many question marks still and you know Mourinho joining halfway through a season that's not easy so it may be that it's not until next season he's had a full pre-season to work with the players that we can really make definitive judgments I know that's maybe seems like sitting on the fence but I just uh, I, I think it's too early to say whether he's yeah. been great or terrible but that's exactly it I think the thing is p- people are kind of looking at it too much through the lens of Jose Mourinho and everything that's happened with him before and everything that's happened to Spurs over the last four or five years rather than where Spurs are immediately now mm. And and you know what what Mourinho has to work with now, which I mean, really is a squad that looked absolutely broken and knackered when he first came in. I mean, I don't think anyone really would have given them much chance of getting into the Champions League or, or making any kind of impact in the FA Cup or, or the um, or the Champions League this season. Uh, and you know, it looks like they'll have a chance of getting into the top four. Certainly, that they'll be in contention through to the latter stages of the season. Um, I, I tweeted a thing last week that, and, and this was before the kind of half round of Premier League fixes we've just had this weekend. That I think only two teams have taken more points than Spurs since Mourinho took over. That's right. It's just City, City and Liverpool, City and Liverpool, which you obviously would expect. Um, and only three teams had conceded more, uh, fewer goals, uh, and that was City, Liverpool, and Palace. Oddly, although they may not have overtaken Spurs. But that's what I mean. And but then there's also <coughs> that saying but they've only kept so X number of clean sheets. Yeah, exactly, so again, it's yeah. kind of however so you want to paint kind of, it. That does seem almost counterintuitive. It doesn't, you know, that doesn't seem quite right. Yeah. Um, but you know, you can't really kind of argue with those stats. I, know, I mean, yeah. you have to factor in, a, you know, that that's not a full season and that's, that's a select number of matches, obviously. Uh, but it's just really hard to make a to make a firm decision, isn't it? Yeah, I just think, you know, we haven't seen like an explosive and an incredible upside in form. Like, I mean, may, maybe like you've seen Everton, because I mean, you look at Everton, I think only Liverpool have taken more points than they have since. Yeah. Or then the flips, I'd say a club like Arsenal, where all the noises you hear are that Arteta's doing this absolutely amazing yeah. job, but the results haven't improved. So it's kind of, you know, it, it depends what y- you want, what, what you think is like, the indicators of how good a job Mourinho is doing. I don't think anyone's coming out and saying like, wow, Mourinho has revolutionised this club, but he has come in and results have improved. And as you say, James, they are still on course to meet slash exceed most of their targets. Yes. I mean, he's not he's not the kind of coach or manager that's going to revolutionise the club in the terms of the way they play. Um, well, or he, he, a, he might revolutionise it in the other direction. Well, no, but I mean, he's, you know, he he's could like improve the way they play defensively or change the mentality or whatever else, but he's not going to do what people are saying or suggesting Arteta is going to do and you know completely a whole new philosophy yeah exactly an entire new philosophy I mean you wouldn't really call Mourinho's pragmatic style of philosophy I don't think pragmatism is a philosophy well okay fine people who go on about people who go on about philosophies in football don't think of that as a philosophy I actually think that like saying that you're really pragmatic and you're only about winning football matches is itself an ideological statement yeah okay fine but anyway um uh, I just think, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think it is really, really unf- it, it is It would be unfair to hold him too responsible for results or even performances when he's arrived in this, like, he arrived in the middle of a crisis in, in November with um, not just results being bad, confidence being low, but also, like, the club losing its most beloved manager since the 1960s. Look, I mean, ultimately, if... Uh, let's pick a Premier League manager who kind of is on it. So let's say Hassan Hurtel had come in and taken over at Spurs in November, which wouldn't have happened because actually Southampton were doing quite badly then. Yeah. 
So if Hasanotil had come in in the middle of November and results had been the same, before, even the performance had been the same, I think everybody would be going on about how good a job he'd done. Pure, purely mm, on the results, he, I don't think you can really argue that Mourinho yeah. has done okay. Yeah, or at least they'd be saying, well, there are positive well, signs exactly, here. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. perfect, but they've really picked up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and also if Hasanotil had come in I mean, this is a topic for another day, perhaps, but if Hassan Huttle had come in in November, there would have been a lot more talk about what a disgrace to sack Pochettino yeah, because right. they would have replaced their best ever manager with someone who's like, had a great, you know, he's a fantastic manager, had a great career, done really well in Germany, but not really done that much in England. Yeah. Whereas when you replace your best ever manager with Jose Mourinho, people are not asking so many questions about the wisdom of that, of that sacking. It's a bit like when you... Yeah, like Mourinho is such a big figure that he does, he kind of acts as a lightning rod for this sort of thing. Like all the discussion becomes about him rather than about anything that happened before him. But thanks for listening anyway. anyway yeah. <laughs> What's interesting though as well, just to slightly flip that on Hasnuto is, is there's no control. So we don't, we, we'll never know this, but how much of it was just that there needed to be any sort of change. So if there actually would have been an uptick in results, if a kind of big dunk equivalent had come in, I suspect there probably would have been. Do you know what I mean? Like I think so much of it, at that point anyway was just to kind of like right something needs to change these players need to breathe yeah like that's totally legitimate new manager bounces a thing look at Solskjaer the guy's obviously clueless and yet he had a fantastic <laughs> he had a fantastic bounce even Tim Sherwood had a bounce yeah he his bounce took them all the way past PSG in the Champions League last 16 which turns out to have been the worst thing ever to happen because it meant they United have had to give him the job but he's not like a good manager anybody would have had an improvement who would Tottenham's big dunk have been well, it would have been uh, Ryan Mason, Ryan probably, Mason, wouldn't it? Yeah, Ryan Mason, I think he's yeah. probably come a little bit too soon for him. But or what, what about like a 90s legend they could have got in? A 90s legend? I mean, they that, did it with Chelsea. They did it. <laughs> Dean Austin, he, he, he's at Watford, isn't he? I'm not saying he's like a club legend, but he's a, he's a well-respected coach. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you would have got like a, a Teddy Cheringham or someone Klinsman. like that. I mean, Klinsman was a guy who they would, who was would, talked as like a Spurs manager for like a decade. Yeah, until, that was always. Basically until Pochettino came would you Would you want that? Would, would that, that be good? Klinsman over Mourinho? Yeah. No, definitely not. Oh. not. He's not a good manager. Is there a Spurs legend who could tempt you? Ginola. Oh. Who would be the best? Who's the best Spurs ex-player who you think... As a manager? Is it anyone good? Alan Pardew, maybe? Played in the Intertoto yeah. Cup in 1996. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. an 8-0 defeat. Yeah, to Cologne, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a great picture on the internet of Pardew in like a, a pony Spurs kit. That was actually ref in the interview I did with Jerry Francis. He talks about that how they all the first team went off on a on their preseason tour and then they had this scratch side playing in the Intertoto, yeah. which included yeah. guys like, basically ringers like Paths who played a couple of games. It wasn't like kind of like it was like thirty six or something. Yeah, yeah, but at the end like of his a, career, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He'd been playing like in, like in the lower leagues. Yeah, uh, listeners, if you think of a Spurs player who you would like to see manage Spurs, tweet us and let us know. We'll mention the best ones. Colin Calderwood, the manager of Cambridge United. I saw uh, Colin Calderwood at Tottenham Howard Tube Station on Wednesday night. I got oh, wow. very excited. That's how low. Did rent you say anything? Like, did no, you get a selfie? Like, oh, Sue Starstruck. Two star strike. He marked Ronaldo. He marked Ronaldo out of the opening game of the 1998 World Cup. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk/athletic. 
fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape, your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist's time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co dot uk forward slash athletic. Charlie, you've just written a story on The Athletic about identifying the next big thing and how even at at any club, just like at Spurs, even the most talented teenagers don't necessarily turn into the best professional players. It was a really, really interesting article. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, it was part of this Next Big Thing series that we're doing uh, on The Athletic this week. And rather than looking at an individual player uh, at Tottenham, although there there are mentions of individual players, it was more just... Yeah, on that challenge, I think it's such an interesting area because you there are so many players who, when they're in their mid or late teens, have so much excitement around them and then don't fulfill their potential. And then you have other guys, what at Spurs are known as the silver medalists, the guys who maybe aren't the best in their group, uh, in their age groups, but are still worth developing. And someone like Harry Kane is obviously to continue that colour scheme the gold standard there and then an interesting like Jafet Tanganga was not someone who was top of the class uh, throughout his age group and he's obviously done amazing this season and then Dennis Serkin's another one in that category who was on the bench last week against Southampton and there are high hopes for at the club so yeah it's sort of it's a little bit about the intangibles that even in this age where there's so much information and data available to scouts and talent developers coaches uh, there are these intangible qualities like maturity and you know, even like linking back to the Espen Barton interview, like football, the, the the life you need to lead to be an elite level sportsman is crazy. Like it is not something that is for most people and it rewards qualities that, you know, for, in most professions you really wouldn't want. Just utter dedication, being driven, motivation, all of these things. So it's kind of, yeah, it's looking at that and, and why it is that some players don't make it. And I, I use the example, you know, you, when you see those like, we predict our World Cup team for six yeah, years yeah. in advance. And those are always really funny because you're basically making that judgment on talent alone. Um, and then you see that, that, and that kind of exposes the fact that talent is just one a big admittedly a big part but it's just one part of that equation yeah and Spurs have seen a lot of stories like this and recently like I remember it would have been maybe about five years ago uh, every Josh Onoma was rated mm. as the best of his age group better than Harry Winks yeah because Onoma and Winks are similar ages and everybody thought Winks everybody thought Winks was good but Onoma was going to be incredible because Onoma had so much power and technical skill and he could kind of play box to box and obviously it never really happened for him at Tottenham in the end, uh, Pochettino didn't really know how best to use him and he ended up going on various loans. He's now doing pretty well at Fulham in the Championship and, you know, it'd be great for Josh if he's back in the Premier League next year if they get promoted. But it's been, um, it, I mean, he, he's a good example. Marcus Edwards as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, probably the most talented footballer to come through the Spurs Academy for a generation. And he was using an example. One of the coaches I spoke to who's worked with Sirkin and various others uh, at Tottenham, he said he thinks Sirkin benefited from the fact that he wasn't the best in his age group necessarily because there wasn't that pressure around him whereas if you are someone like Edwards or Onoma 
and you are spoken about all the time. It's like, you're the best. You're going to be amazing. That's a lot of pressure for a young person to deal with. Yeah, it, we, we shouldn't forget. And also, I think the media has a big responsibility on this, which we don't always follow up on, is how much it must warp you as like a 15 or 16 year old to be written about at length mm. and not just by the traditional media but on social media and every time you do a skill it goes viral and everybody follows you on Instagram and on Twitter and you get abuse when you play well sorry abuse when you play badly and you get praise when you play well and that is just like it's not normal for any teenage boy to be hit with that much kind of public validation. It's really, and obviously it's going to make teenagers behave in a strange way. It's crazy. And that's in Troy Parrott's a really, he kind of crystallizes all these things now because he's someone for whom there is so much expectation and buzz around. And I know the people around him smartly want to try and manage that. It's hard to do because, you know, it's kind of locking the door off the horse's bolted because there's already so much excitement. But, I, do, I just think with someone like him, and I said this after he signed the contract, as much as possible, let's give him time and space to develop and not pile the pressure on too yeah, much. It's incredible with Parrot. Like, uh, you know, you, you only have to go on to like a, a Spurs tweet, uh, like a, like announcing a team uh, and Parrot not being the 18. And then you just like go through the replies and there'll be dozens, hundreds of people furious that this player they've probably not even seen play isn't in the team from a yeah. Troy Parrot yeah. is go-to account. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. Man Like Troy or whatever, yeah. you know, all of these like Troy Parrot fan accounts. It's just, you know, I, I mean, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I've seen very, very little of him. I'm not, you know, making a judgment call either way. Clearly it's way too early to do that. He's only just turned 18. But it, yeah. I mean, these are all tweets with him, like included in the in the yeah. app. So at Troy like, Parrot, yeah. yeah, at Troy Parrot. And it's like, why, why is he playing out of Lucas Moura? Like, I'm not, I'm absolutely not a big fan of Lucas Moura. The man has scored a hat trick in the Champions League semi final. Pretty good guy. Like, he's played for years for for Tottenham and Paris Saint Germain. He's played, he's got, he's played hundreds of games, scored hundreds of goals at like the highest level of professional European football. Yeah. And people are like desperate, like, oh, like we got to get this 17 year old in who's like actually only even really technically been in the Spurs academy for two and a bit seasons. But then that, that is just the kind of modern fan, fan mentality, isn't it? There's yeah. no there's no better player than the player you've never seen play. Completely. Yeah. And I get it as well, because it is really exciting having a young player. Yeah. Um, but, it, but yeah, it's just, I, I think you, you, these guys have to be so carefully managed. And also one of the things that Chris Ramsey said, obviously he was at Spurs, developed a lot of the young guys that came through, like Kane and, and Mason and Winks. You know, he was saying, you have to have the right people around you because... A lot of them are being told they're amazing by their entourage and all of that. And that just fuels it rather than what you need is people sort of trying to keep you as measured and grounded as possible. Not everyone's lucky enough to have the right people. That's another intangible thing that's hard to... When you're forecasting who's going to be in the World Cup team in six years, you're probably not going to have a knowledge of, right, well, he's got a really smart team around him. We just don't know these things. There's probably a lot more pressure on players in that academy now than there would have been like kind of six or seven years ago because he had that generation with Kane... Mason, who obviously would would be a Premier League player now, were it not for that injury, uh, Townsend I think was in that age group as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Stephen Coulker, whose career has not quite worked out as he would have expected, but was an England international and you know was a decent Premier League player at a point. Um, and now suddenly there's kind of been a couple of years and there, well there's Harry Winks in between I guess and now suddenly people are kind of desperate for the next player there's like an expectation that there'll be another one coming through like immediately and it did happen with Edwards to, to a point as well. But prior to that, 
Kane group. I mean, it had been quite a long time since Spurs had brought anyone through from the academy into the first team. But even, uh, yeah, completely. But the, and the Kane group also benefited from the massive like good fortune of emerging into a Spurs first team, which was massively underperforming, yeah. and which had two managers in a row, Sherwood and Pochettino, who wanted to play young players. Yeah. If they'd had a kind of... I mean, I, I, I'm not saying this as a dig of Mourinho, but if they'd had a kind of Mourinho-type manager, that is a big-name manager who, whose whole thing is playing playing experienced players yeah. and getting short-to-medium-term short, short to medium term results, then those guys might not have played. I think, yeah, and, and luck's such a big part because someone like Tanganga, who has come in under Mourinho and has absolutely seized his chance, but you, you, you almost need players to be injured or suspended or for the team to be playing badly. And you, you get some players get that opportunity, others just never really do. Yeah. And then they slide down a level. And once you've slid down a level, it's really hard to be so outstanding that you move back. Whereas there are tons of players who I'm sure could fill in and do a job and wouldn't really look out of place, but they just never get that opportunity. So that's not seen as their level. Tanganga now is a Premier League defender. That is his level. We've seen that. So this Sunday, Spurs are going to Villa Park. Uh we're going to do a little bit of nostalgia corner here. Uh, what are your favourite Spurs versus Aston Villa games? Uh, I mean, one of the standout ones would be the the four all draw in 2007-2008 where Spurs went for Martin Yol's Spurs went four one down. This was kind of the start of or the middle probably really of, of Yol's. How uh, would you have to describe that? The, the kind of end, the beginning of the end, I guess, right. for Martin Yol. Um, Villa were a decent side then and, and it was kind of in that spell where Spurs and Villa were both sort of pushing to break into the top four and Spurs ultimately succeeded and Villa didn't and yeah it was a it was a, the 125th anniversary kit oh yeah thing. yeah they played in this blue and white kit uh, yeah like I say Spurs went 4-1 down Villa fans are singing happy birthday Tottenham Hotspur everyone's got like three flags and scarves and stuff and Spurs coming back from 4-1 down to draw at home to Aston Villa was the most amazing thing. Amazing. It's probably an indication of how far Spurs have come in the last like 12 years. The fact that that, that result felt like, a, like an amazing success. Yeah, it was similar on the kind of thriller um, spectrum. This is a game from 94. And, and the reason I was sort of aware of it, again, Jerry Francis referenced it when I spoke to him because it was his first game in charge and it was a real like welcome to the club. It was in that madcap 94-95 season where you had like points deductions, FA Cup expulsions, uh, change of manager, the Ardiles is five up front. Um, and yeah, this was France's first game and they're 3-0 down at halftime at home to Villa and he's thinking, you know, what have I got myself in for? Gives a kind of rousing team talk. They get it back to 3 all, and then Villa score a last minute uh, winner or I'm not sure I think it was last minute yeah but it kind of it was at that time Spurs was so good to watch and actually after that he um, turned them around and started getting really good results but yeah this was one of those crazy 90s games that you look back at the goals as well and it just it looks yeah. like a different game I've got two uh, only two years apart December 2012 AVB's Tottenham won 4-0 at Villa Park with a Gareth Bale hat-trick. This, I think, was probably Bale at his absolute best. But just yeah, after Christmas. In the middle yeah, of that season, yeah, just Bale after Christmas. Maybe. The first goal is incredible because he gets Spurs on the counter and Bale gets it like 30 yards from goal and nips it, I think, beyond Kieran Clark. And then basically, Bale was so, so quick back then. Runs in a massive circle around Kieran Clark. Uh, all the, it, he must have covered about 10, 20 yards during which time Kieran Clark could slowly move his body. <laughs> 
<laughs> to face God. Well, it's I kind of like Kieran, if you're listening and it's not you, I'm really sorry because it looks like you on the grainy YouTube footage. It might be Carlos Cuellar. You know the goal he scored in the Copa del Rey final? Yeah, he runs yeah, around. He, yeah, he goes yeah, off the pitch yeah, yeah. and runs around. Who, which, which defender? It's not Minesa. Who is it? Mm. No. Is it Bartra? Maybe Bartra. Maybe. I think it was Bartra. Some, it's someone of that ilk that he, that he kind of burns around the outside of, like the long way around. It's, it's kind of similar could, to that. Yeah, it's amazing. And then the two others are just really like arrowed precise finishes. One at the bottom corner, one at the top into the roof of the net. So that was fantastic for Gareth Bale fans. And then two years after that, November 2014, the sort of 2-1 turnaround win mm. at Villa Park where it was looking really ropey for the Pochettino project. He says in his book he would have lost his job. Yeah. And then Benteke stupidly got sent off for slapping Ryan Mason. Yeah, Mason yeah, kind of provokes yeah. him. Yeah. Does, it's yeah. quite smart. And then Ch- was it Chadley and Kane scored at the end? Yeah, Chadley like Boshes one in from a corner and then Kane it's deflected free a, kick a slightly deflected free kick <laughs> but what, it was at that time wasn't it where there was such a clamour for yeah. Kane to start Premier League games because he'd been used in Europe for scoring a few yeah I'm sure there were a lot of yeah. tweets about that yeah because this because this was so early on in the Pochettino project it was he played players who he then bombed out soon after so if you look through the team it's got players like Kabul Kapu Adebayor and it would have been like more or less their last games for Spurs I know they played a little bit more because they I remember seeing them Spurs against Besiktas in the Europa League in in Istanbul in December 2014 I think but that was basically the end of it for those guys so it was pretty much the end of those those as he started to integrate the younger players because they started that Kane run didn't it then he got in the first team and started playing then he started the next week against Stoke and Spurs lost I think that oh yeah, yeah yeah I remember that but then from there it was kind of Kane mania yeah. really sort of kicked off thanks very much for listening uh, we will be back next week where we will look back at the Aston Villa game and forward to the return of Champions League football when Spurs play RB Leipzig at Tottenham and then their big Premier League game at Stamford Bridge bye bye